become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaSports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There's a strong link between sports and medicine. If you're not at the top of your medical game, you can't play well, or you just can't play. Welcome to Bruce the Sports Doc with medical expert Dr. Bruce Grossinger. This program looks at advances and breakthroughs in medicine and how it relates to sports. Plus, you'll receive preventative tips and analysis of sports injuries this week. Now, here's Bruce the Sports Doc. Welcome to the newest segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger, and we've got a great show for you today. We're going to lead off with a sports medicine update. We're going to be talking about Ryan Howard, his torn Achilles, and his repeat surgery on his ankle, and how this is going to affect his return to play for the Philadelphia Phillies. We're also going to talk about Peyton Manning, his health situation, talking about nerve regeneration following neck surgery, as well as an update on his tour throughout the league, the NFL. There are 12 teams interested in Peyton Manning services. We're also going to talk about another famous athlete with a sports injury, a recurrent Achilles injury by Tiger Woods, causing his departure from the Doral golf course in Miami, Florida. We're going to talk about Ricky Rubio, who just tore the ACL in his left knee, the treatment for an ACL, and how that will affect his return to play, and the devastating effect on the Minnesota Timberwolves. So there's a lot in the world of sports and we're going to be covering it here on Bruce the Sports Doc. First, let's talk about the big piece, Ryan Howard, the record-setting home run hitter for the Philadelphia Phillies. He tore his left Achilles on the last pitch in the game against the St. Louis Cardinals. Spencer the Wizard and I were in attendance for that. A very disappointing game where the Phillies got shut out. So there it was, Ryan Howard going down in the heap. It was true that he tore his Achilles through and through. The treatment for that is surgery. So he essentially had his Achilles reattached. He was doing very well with his rehab. He was out of a boot. And in fact, when they arrived in Clearwater, Florida... Ryan Howard was actually hitting home runs at batting practice. So he was improving to the extent he wasn't running. His calf muscle, which is called the gastrocnemius, had 
naturally became small in size. That's what we call atrophy. When a leg is in a cast, the effect of that is essentially when you don't use a muscle, you lose it. And so he had atrophy of the calf muscle, and he was in the process of rehabbing his calf muscle. Then he suffered a setback. He developed pain near his Achilles. There was some fluid. He went to see his surgeon, Dr. Meyerson, and sure enough, there was an infection. There was a pocket of infection, which was near the Achilles, but the Achilles tendon repair was not compromised. So what treatment was necessitated? Well, he had to go back to the surgeon. He needed another operation where essentially the infection was drained and then Ryan was placed back in the boot. The way it works is when you're back in a, a boot, your foot is immobile, and for every week in a for every week in a boot, it takes about four weeks to rehab to get to the point where you were. So that's the equation four to one. And when we look at this, it was projected that Ryan Howard would be back in the Phil's lineup somewhere mid to the end of May. Right now we're looking, this is extended into June. And his return to play is what they say. He's indefinitely out. So certainly a setback. And also, you've got the other infielder on the right side of the Phillies, Chase Utley. An all-pro, actually, uh, all-star player. We're not talking about football. We're talking about baseball. One of the keys for the Phillies who led them to a championship in 2008. Last year, he was plagued by patellar tendonitis in his knee and missed the first half of the season. He came back and had an excellent second half of the year. And in the playoffs, he was one of the few Phillies that actually delivered for them. They had a power outage. Guys like Placido Polanco, Chooch were hitting 100. Jimmy Rollins was also slumping. Now, flash forward to 2012. Chase Utley still has not put on the uniform. And the Phillies management is silent as to his situation, but we can only surmise that his patellar tendonitis has flared up and that they are going to use him judiciously and obviously not use any of this uh, in any way risk re-injury or worsening of his condition in spring training. So when will Chase Utley return? It's unclear. So the right half of the lineup, Ryan Howard and Chase Utley, due to their respective situations, a recurrent infection, Near the Achilles tendon for Ryan Howard and a return of patellar tendonitis, which appears to be a degenerative condition, is keeping Chase Utley from returning to the field. Let's switch sports. Let's go to the NFL. The big story is Peyton Manning. The question I get 
all the time is, is it safe for Peyton Manning to return to play? The answer, based on what I've read, multiple doctors' opinions, is that the fusion of Peyton Manning's neck, that's at the C6-7 level. And again, I haven't seen his x-rays, but it's pretty clear that they used allografting, which is his own bone, and they may or may not have used titanium plates and screws. But once there is a solid fusion of the neck, it's thought that that is as durable as native bone. And by all accounts, the fusion is, is held. And if we look at other professional football players, even linebackers and linemen, those who have you know, a very intensive performance requirements, are able to return safely to the game. The issue last year that required the third surgery on his neck was that he had persistent compression of the C7 nerve root. That is triceps muscle. That's the muscle that extends the arm in the throwing motion. Was weak and atrophied. The good news is the last surgery, by all accounts, was successful. And most recently, I saw a little bit of a grainy YouTube video taken about two weeks ago where Peyton Manning was throwing 25-yard outs with accuracy and velocity. So as far as our reports are, his arm continues to get stronger. He's able to throw the throws that are necessary to play the NFL. That is accurate, hard throws. As far as the, the deep ball, as far as endurance of the arm, we really don't know. All the reports are secondhand. But the big story, of course, is that Jim Mercer, the owner, opted not to pick up the $27 million option on Peyton Manning. This didn't come as a surprise to anybody because Andrew Luck is the heir apparent. He will be the number one choice, and he will be taken by the Indianapolis Colts. So the Indianapolis Colts have officially released Peyton Manning, and now Peyton Manning is going about his business interviewing teams who are looking to acquire his services. It's reported that the top two teams in the running for the Peyton Manning sweepstakes are the Denver Broncos and the St. Louis Cardinals. Looking at Denver, you see John Elway and you see John Fox. Last year they were involved with Tebow Mania. It certainly was a great story. I guess we could call him somewhat of an underdog because of his unorthodox throwing motion and the number of naysayers who said that Tebow would never amount to anything in the NFL's quarterback. And Tebow carried his team into the playoffs, had a winning streak, and certainly garnished the hearts and minds of the fans, not only in Denver, but throughout the league. So it looks like John Elway is poised to acquire Peyton Manning. And if so... All signs are that he would trade Tib Tebow. What could the Broncos get for Tib Tebow? Some speculation, but it's this doctor's opinion 
approximately a second or third round draft choice. A team such as Jacksonville, close to the University of Florida, certainly with a quarterback need, might be in the running to trade for Tim Tebow. It appears that Washington and the New York Jets have taken taken themselves out of the Peyton Manning running. The Jets, the Jets have upped Mark Sanchez's contract. And Washington traded away a boatload of first-round draft picks in order to acquire the services of RG3 from Baylor, a very speedy, talented quarterback. And they're going to be hitching their wagons to him in order to hope that they could pull the Redskins out of the quarterback doldrums that they've been in for many years. So the teams in the running, Denver and St. Louis, it was reported that Seattle wasn't a favored spot for Peyton Manning, and he has not even agreed to pay a visit to them. Here in Philadelphia, there was some buzz on the airways about how the Eagles should acquire Peyton Manning and then trade Michael Vick. But I think that's all uh, complete speculation. There's no signs at all that the Eagles are not prepared to go ahead with Michael Vick as their starting quarterback. I'm sure there are rumors in every city in the NFL. But Peyton Manning is one of the only quarterbacks of any prominence to hit the free agent market, and the circumstances would have it. A four-time MVP, a certain Hall of Famer. Stay tuned to the next segment of Bruce the Spruce Time. flagship station for sports voice america sports dr bruce grossinger is a board certified neurologist and managing partner of grossinger neuropain specialist serving the philadelphia and wilmington delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine pain management interventional spinal surgeries and occupational medicine dr bruce is the director of the national sports concussion program and works as a senior medical advisor for the national high school coaches association we're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries this involves education of athletes parents trainers coaches and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. to the pros we cover everything let your voice be heard voice america sports
You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the next segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. When we left you three minutes ago, we were talking about sports medicine, what you've been following, Peyton Manning and his projected return to play. And this doctor believes that truly he will be able to return to play. He will be able to throw at least the moderate short balls with accuracy and precision. And being Peyton Manning, that should be good enough to be one of the top quarterbacks in the league. By all accounts, his neck fusion is healed, and he will be at no further risk of re-injury of the neck than any of the other players. Obviously, the quarterback position is one that is not without hazards. Certainly, a lot of talk about concussions, and Peyton Manning has been blessed to not have suffered concussions, but to have what it was reported to be a herniated disc, a slip disc at C6-7, and he required multiple surgeries. His career was in jeopardy, and his most recent surgery last year, which took a full year to recuperate, was met with success. He's had recovery, nerve regeneration, and his triceps, forearm muscles, which are subserved by the C7 nerve root, appear to be getting better every day and every week. To the extent that Peyton Manning, who's an honest gentleman, is now offering his services around the NFL, and the suitors are lining up. Twelve teams reported to be interested. He's whittled it down apparently at this time as we go to air to the Denver Broncos and St. Louis Cardinals. The Miami Dolphins offer an attractive situation. They're in the AFC. They have a new stadium. They have some receivers, a decent offensive line, and an up-and-coming defense. But what they don't have is a quarterback. So it's reported that Miami might be the third team that Peyton looks at. However, the Denver Broncos are in the most favorable position. If, we're, if they were to get rid of Tim Tebow without a suitable, popular replacement, such as Peyton Manning, there will be a backlash from their fan base after last year's Tebow mania. So if they could acquire Peyton Manning, they'll be able to trade Tebow and there will be no backlash at all. In fact, there will be reverence for bringing a four-time MVP to a Denver Bronco team that has a lot of pieces in place. And they can make a real run at the AFC Championship. So we wish the best to Peyton Manning. And this will play out day by day. Peyton states that he would like to make this decision within a week so that he can establish himself, become acquainted with the new team. And uh, it certainly 
we'll all be rooting for him. Another monster in the field of sports is Tiger Woods. He had a successful return, and last week at the end, the fourth round, he shot a 62, which wasn't good enough to catch Rory McIlroy. However, there was hope that Tiger was finally, you know, finally returning the form. He stated that he has been working with Sean Foley and that much of the attention in his practice sessions were on his driving of the golf ball. It's no secret that one of the reasons there was a falling out with Hank Haney was Tiger's inability to control his long 300-plus yard drives. So it was reported that Sean Foley was working on the accuracy mechanics of his drive, and sure enough, at the end of last week, Tiger Woods was ranked number one in driving. That means distance and accuracy. So he had achieved his goal of improving his driving, and he stated that he would be on to other parts of his game, such as his erratic putting, which in the past, his putting was rock solid. And he was trying to return to form. So he was back in Doral, playing the Blue Monster. He had made the cut, not quite in contention. The Blue Monster uh, was playing soft and was yielding very low scores. But unfortunately, in the middle of the fourth round, Tiger Woods developed recurrent pain in his left Achilles. He bombed a drive on the 12th hole, measured out to 321 yards. He was limping and could not continue. He had to be literally carted off the field. And he, uh, he left a message that he had a recurrent Achilles injury. He regretted that he had to withdraw from the tournament. And now his return is certainly in question. So talk about the Achilles. It was named after the Greek god Achilles and the Achilles heel, which of course means in a strong warrior, the one weak area. Now why is the Achilles tendon so fragile? Well, it's because this particular tendon receives a very low blood supply, even on a good day. So the the Achilles area, typically, just by its location, has a very um, poor blood supply. So any injury to the Achilles tendon, such as a tear or inflammation, is a very slow healing process. This doctor, that is Bruce the Sports Doc, in 1997, tore his left Achilles through and through and required a, uh, a full repair, which essentially was to reattach the Achilles tendon. So with Tiger Woods, by all reports, this is only a tendonitis, or at worst, a partial tear. Now again, I told you that the Achilles tendon is slow to heal. Let's switch sports to Spencer Hawes, seven-foot center of the Philadelphia 76ers. 2012 season, got off to a great start. A number of double-doubles. By that I mean double figures in scoring and rebounds. And he's been plagued for weeks with an Achilles tendonitis. He tried to return to play and again had a setback. Recurrent pain and swelling in his Achilles. Spencer Hawes 
as of the as of press time now, will be out at least another two to four weeks. But hopefully we'll be back for the playoffs for the Philadelphia 76ers. So we look, we see Tiger Woods, who had problems with his Achilles, with tendonitis. He obviously has had major problems with his left knee, including four knee surgeries, including a full reconstruction. We thought that he was on his way back, and he had a setback. Obviously, the goal is to return to the Masters in Augusta, the Mint Tournament of the four majors, and whether or not Tiger could return to the Masters is very much in question at this time, given the slow healing of the Achilles. This would appear to be a convenient segue to give you a sports update. Today, 12 noon, the Philadelphia Sixers went into Madison Square Garden and played the New York Knicks. The Knicks, with a restocked lineup, including Carmelo Anthony, Amari Stoudemire, and Jeremy Lin, Lin Sanity. The Sixers, with the emergence of Evan Turner, their number two, their number two draft pick from last year, who is finally hitting his stride. And the result today was a rousing Sixers win. They really controlled the game in the third quarter. They were up by as many as 20 points in the fourth quarter and eventually won the game by 12 points. Lou Williams, a game-high 28 points for the Sixers. Evan Turner, another double-double. 24 points and 15 rebounds. Andre Iguodala, another solid game with six assists and 19 points. Elton Brand, a solid game defensively. So what you see is that Doug Collins has the Sixers on the uptick. Three wins in a row. Playing as a team. Evan Turner playing minutes. And you look at the New York Knicks. Unexplicably going into a tailspin. A five-game losing streak. So what does this tell us? That there may well be problems in Gotham City. It may be difficult for Linsanity to coexist with Carbello. The chemistry just isn't working. It's not translating into wins. Well, we are now going to conclude this segment. We've got some exciting stuff. The NCAA preview. So stay tuned to the next segment of Bruce the Sports Guy. internet flagship station for sports voice america sports dr bruce grossinger is a board certified neurologist and managing partner of grossinger neuropain specialist serving the philadelphia and wilmington delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine pain management interventional spinal surgeries and occupational medicine dr bruce is the director of the national sports concussion program and works as a senior medical advisor for the national high school coaches association we're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal 
injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. internet flagship station for sports voice america sports you are listening to bruce the sports doc with dr bruce grossinger if you have a question or comment about today's program please call in at 1-888-346-9144 that's 1-888-346-9144 or send an email to bruce at BruceTheSportsDoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the next segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. We're dealing with a very important area now, which will be injuries to the low back. This could relate to your sports injuries or other types of trauma, such as falls at work or car accidents. This is an area of extreme expertise for Grossinger Neuropaid Specialist. If you are within driving distance of the sound of my voice and you have a low back problem, whether it be a disc, whether it be a spinal cord injury, whether it be a car accident or a work accident, please call us for consultation, 610-521-6063. Again, I'm Dr. Bruce Grossinger. Let's start out with the types of injuries in the low back. I like to think of three different main injuries in the low back that are serious. Number one, injuries to the discs. Okay, and they include bulging, protruding, or traumatic discs. That's when the inner core, which is the nucleus pulposus, essentially ruptures and breaks through the outer part, which is called the annulus fibrosis. Excuse the Latin. And what happens when a disc breaks out is it moves into an area where a nerve lives, a nerve root. In Latin, the word root is called radic. So when there is a disc problem or a bone spur which presses into a nerve root in the spine, or alternatively, if there is a tremendous force, particularly a flexion and extension force to the spine, that could actually tear or partially tear the nerve cables. The nerve cables are oriented such that there's an inner cable, which is like the inner part of a wire, that's called the axon, and there's an outer cable, which is called the myelin. So, we've talked about different injuries. One, disc injury. That's one type of injury. Another type of injury is direct trauma to the nerve, stretching or pulling. If the nerve actually gets pulled out of the spinal column, that's called an avulsion. That leaves somebody with a flaccid limb, either an arm or leg, and total weakness. A nerve root avulsion, regrettably, is a very serious problem that's very difficult to treat. Another problem with the lumbar spine is called the facet syndrome. That is, the interconnecting joints are called facets. And in the same area, there are little nerves called median branches. And what happens is, there's injury to those joints and those nerves 
and there's usually multiple levels of injury. So our treatment usually involves treating multiple levels, a three on average. So when you have a patient that comes in and tells you, I have back pain, morning stiffness, and you examine them, and they have tenderness overlying the facet joints, that's what we call a facet syndrome. When Tiger Woods injured his neck last year, he did not herniate a disc, but he had a cervical facet syndrome. He required treatment for that problem and eventually recovered. So when we think about it, we look at the back in the midline area, we see midline discs and nerves. We also think about the facets, which is a vertically oriented group of multi-level nerves and joints. Finally, it's separate and distinct, something called the sacroiliac joint. When the pain is either on one side or both sides, unilateral or bilateral, and when I put my finger right on what we call the dimples of the back, otherwise known as the sacroiliac joint, the posterior superiliac spines, and there's extreme tenderness there. Or alternatively, if there's unleveling, when I look at it carefully, if one of the sacroiliac joints is way higher than the other, I think about something called sacroiliac joint syndrome. Sacroiliac joint syndrome. How does it compare with the other entities? It typically does not radiate down into one or both legs. It's not radiating in character. It's not a radiculopathy. That's the Latin word. Also, it's usually in a different area. It doesn't go up the spine. It doesn't affect multiple levels. It basically is such where you put your finger on the SI joint, there's pain. And there's also two other tests called the Patrick's test, wherein you do a maneuver to the hip and the leg, and also something called a Lasagne's test, which is another provocative test we do in the office. When those tests are positive, they can support the diagnosis of sacroiliac dysfunction. Well, how do you treat sacroiliac dysfunction? Number one, anti-inflammatories, muscle relaxers, physical therapy, myofascial treatment, even gentle manipulation, either osteopathic manipulation or chiropractic manipulation. And also, we do both diagnostic and therapeutic injections. In the operating room, we do this in neuropain specialists. We take a needle, we place it down an x-ray beam directly at the SI joint, and we inject a powerful anti-inflammatory and local anesthetic agent. When that relieves the pain, that's a positive diagnostic test, and there's also a therapeutic component. We usually do up to three injections in the sacroiliac area. Okay, let's go back to diagnosis number one, disc injuries, lumbar root injuries. How do we treat that? So how do we treat herniated discs? Number one, at the core is a good clinical exam. There are rare cases that represent true surgical emergencies. When somebody has an acute injury to their disc, they herniate it, and they develop an inability to pass urine, or they develop constipation, that is a true emergency. That indicates the likelihood of a spinal cord involvement, or what we call a cauda equina syndrome. That's a big word in Latin. Cauda equina relates to the horse's tail. In that case, we send him to an immediate surgeon who usually does a decompression. They remove the disc with or without a fusion to stabilize the spine. That's unusual, however. 95% or greater, we start off conservatively. 
anti-inflammatory medicines, muscle relaxers, physical therapy, rest, stretching, second tier treatment. We do epidural injections in our office. That means in an operating room, we place a needle at the level of the disc, above or below it. We inject corticosteroids, local anesthetic agents. We usually do two or three of these injections over a period of four to six weeks. In our hands, the epidural injections have a 70% chance of significantly impacting on the patient's problem. They don't remove the disc, but they usually can induce a relative remission and they allow the patient to continue their activities. So, review. Disc injuries. Unless there's a true surgical emergency, we use physical therapy, medicines, injections. We also believe gentle mobilization, which can be done by a physical therapist or can be done safely by a chiropractic physician, are very important tools in the treatment of lumbar disc injuries. We talked about sacroiliac dysfunction, pain in the butt, literally, and these problems are treated by medicine, mobilization, and injections directly to the sacroiliac joint. The way we do our injections, we use a special x-ray machine called a fluoroscope, so we have actual pictures of the needle, we can see where the medicine is going, and we can follow that up and we can share that with the patient. I believe at the core of the treatment of low back injuries is good communication, interaction between the doctor and the patient. And again, we can see low back injuries at a host of scenarios. We can see them from car accidents, work injuries, and particularly in the sporting environment. Oftentimes, it's a twist, it's an acceleration, it's a deceleration, it's a slip and fall. We see it a lot in the wintertime. Black ice, head over heels. I landed on my back. And when they come to us, we have to decide whether it's a serious neurological injury. Another class of back injuries are the non-serious variety, what we call the simple strain and sprain. Soft tissue injuries. These injuries get better, typically at four to six weeks. They require no formal uh, injections or surgical treatment. They often don't require even CAT scans or MRIs. They usually get better with rest, anti-inflammatory medicines, something called a Medrol dose pack, which is a methyl prednisolone pack over five days, gentle physical therapy, chiropractic care, and time. So if it's a simple low back strain, they get better. However, we see so many patients who are told by their doctors or by whomever, don't worry about it, you have a simple strain. They go ahead and they get evaluated, they get a careful exam by a neurologist, we find they need MRIs, and it turns out that they fall in the other category of the more serious big three. Lumbar disc injuries, nerve injuries, that's one category, lumbar facet injuries, and sacroiliac injuries. We're going to reinforce this particular discussion on future dialogues with you, the listener at Voice America Sports. This concludes this segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. I will continue to help you journey through Nerveland, Dr. Bruce Grossinger. I thank you so much for listening. 
your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine. Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. to the pros we cover everything let your voice be heard voice america sports you are listening to bruce the sports doc with dr bruce grossinger if you have a question or comment about today's program please call in at 1-888-346-9144 that's 1-888-346-9144 or send an email to bruce at BruceTheSportsDoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the next segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger. We have a neurology practice in the Philadelphia metropolitan area, and we have an all-star team, including Dr. Jason Brazier, our interventional anesthesiologist. We have a dedicated pain psychologist, Dr. Alan Silberman, my brother, who's an internal medicine specialist and neurologist, Dr. Stephen Grossinger. And we're pleased to announce the addition of physician assistant Alan Taylor, who has done work for the Rothman Institute in Philadelphia. This is a well-known orthopedic practice. He also has a wealth of experience in emergency medicine, and he also has research including small fiber neuropathy. So if you're within the sound of our voice here, that is in the tri-state area, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, or Delaware, give us a call, get an appointment, and let us help you out. 610-521-6063. My moniker is Bruce the Sports Doc, but we deal with all types of pain, including neck and back pain, and we also have a a headache clinic. And we have offices in Pennsylvania and Delaware. Well, let's dive right into the next segment. Let's talk about the biomechanics of head impact. What goes on in football? What are the forces imposed on the brain? We look now to engineer Jonathan Beckwith. And his company is called Simbex. He made an excellent presentation at the Brain and Spine Institute on January 28th of 2012. It's my pleasure to summarize 
some of the exciting data that's emerging with respect to head injury. It's exciting because the more we learn about the mechanics of brain injury, the better we will be at formulating treatment plans. we got to give mad props to the company Simbex. What they have is they actually record the head impact exposure during helmeted activities. The monitors go directly on the patient's heads. So therefore, it matters the forces that are impacted on the patient's head and therefore into the brain. And this is much more important than recording the forces on the outside of the helmet. So we want to find out what's exactly going on with the hits. Therefore, we want to read head, not helmet acceleration. And the technology components of the Simbex system use spring-like contacts to the head and measure via wireless connection to a sideline computer. And they're able to quantitate the linear and angular acceleration. We're trying to figure out where are the impacts to the head and is it position specific? We learned that offensive linemen have impact forces to the front part of their brains. Quarterbacks who suffer the worst impacts on blindside hits have increased back-of-the-head impacts. Special teams all over the brain. They also measured head impact exposure in college football players. 75% of the players had greater than 217 substantial hits. 50% had 420, 25% 728, and 10% of college football players had over a 1,000 significant impacts to their heads. Two to three times the impacts are in games as opposed to practices, and the linemen have two to three times the number of impacts when compared to skill position players. We'd like to discuss the lecture offered by Baltimore Ravens team physician, neurologist Dr. Kevin Crutchfield. He's a friend of the show, Bruce the Sports Doc, wonderful guy. Dr. Crutchfield delivered a great dissertation on concussion, and he's a very experienced neurologist. He also has experience in the military with blast victims, and he brings his experience and knowledge to the Baltimore Ravens. Dr. Crutchfield is very aggressive in treating concussion, and I'd like to impart some of his wisdom to you. Number one, when people suffered, suffer brain injuries, they often have difficulty sleeping. So paradoxically, they're fatigued, but yet at night, they have trouble sleeping. So one of the most important things is to give them a night's sleep. And if necessary, there's certain medications, including trazodone, Ambien, and even mild uh, benzodiazepine drugs like clonazepam are helpful in restoring sleep. Patients with headaches deserve analgesics. In our practice, we use a lot of combination analgesics, such as Estric Plus, Fioracet, 
following a head injury initially, we usually stay away from platelet-inhibiting drugs, such as ibuprofen, naproxen, and aspirin, because if there's any small area of microhemorrhage in the brain that's bleeding, this could encourage enlargement of the bleed and could be very dangerous. So certainly for two to three days following a severe head injury, even with a negative CAT scan, we try to avoid those types of medicines. Looking at the basic research, we can see that concussion and brain injuries seem to deplete the neurotransmitter dopamine. And therefore, this affects the motor system. By that, it means the muscles, the ambulation, and coordination. This has a profound impact on performance athletes. So therefore, they have slowing of their motor responses and diminished reaction time. So let's look at the sports where we see concussions. In football, when you have diminished reaction time, that affects virtually every position on the field adversely. And also, when you have diminished motor responses, your ability to react, to cut, and interface with other players is significantly impaired. So we usually, we don't give them dopamine. There is a drug called L-DOPA, which is levodopa, which we use in Parkinsonian patients. But instead, we use a drug called amantadine. Amantadine is kind of a false dopamine neurotransmitter. What it does is it helps rev up the motor system. So we usually start people on about 100 milligrams a day, and we go up to 200 milligrams of amantadine. Other signs of concussion. Emotional changes. Anxiety, depression. A short fuse. Dizziness. Bounce disturbances. And sensitivity to light and noise. Rarely hearing loss. As well as weakness and lack of balance. So how do we treat this? Number one, good evaluation. There are special therapists called vestibular therapists and also occupational therapists who will check balance, eye movement, and could actually help re-educate the balance system in the head, which is called the vestibular system. So certainly at places like Sinai Hospital in Baltimore, there's a whole department specializing in physical therapy and occupational therapy. And these centers are very helpful in getting people feeling better and eventually back to work or back to the playing field. Virtually all parts of the brain are susceptible to trauma. When the frontal parts of the brain are injured, patients become apathetic. They lose their initiative. With impact to the temporal lobes, which are on the side parts of the brain, there's memory loss. Injury to the back part of the brain, which is the occipital lobe, is associated with visual problems. And in fact, head injury to the eyes themselves, the orbits, could cause swelling of the muscles that move the eye. They're called the extraocular movements. And usually those type of injuries do get better over time. That is, the extraocular movement difficulties which arise in double vision. So what tests are used to evaluate concussion? On the short term, we have self-directed computerized tests, including impact testing, 
a much lengthier test is a neuropsychological test. I understand neuropsychologists don't put a lot of stock in the impact testing because they realize that a 20-minute test doesn't substitute for an eight-hour test. However, when somebody is photophobic, has headaches, sonophobic, they can't tolerate an eight-hour test. So I believe the impact tests and other computerized tests have value. So we are learning a lot about how to treat concussions. We're moving from a time when all we did was tell them to lay in a dark room and rest to the point where neurologists such as Dr. Crutchfield and myself are actively treating symptoms of headache, memory loss, emotional disturbance, insomnia, and even replacing neurotransmitters such as dopamine, drug called Aricept, replacing acetylcholine, and also stimulant drugs that we use for ADD, such as Ritalin and Adderall. So in my view, we aggressively treat concussion. We certainly protect the brain. And in our school-age children, we have to give them a break. We have to give them time off of school and let them heal. Oftentimes, the administration of the schools, are uh, they just don't understand. So one part of the impact test is it does provide objective data to convince the school districts that these people need time off, homebound instruction, and uh, deferred schooling. So in any event, we certainly appreciate your listening to this segment of Bruce's Sports Talk. Stay tuned. Thanks for joining the discussion this week on Bruce the Sports Doc. Tune in next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with Dr. Bruce Grossinger on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll see you then. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.